Welcome to the Business Connect podcast, where we learn and grow together. Let's get to the show. So we just recorded an excellent podcast with Mr. Ryan Shields. Really going to like this one. Really appreciate the fact he brought out how important it is to have a good character in business. And really, that helps your business grow, especially through word of mouth. Josh, what did you think? Yeah, I thought it was incredible. He's a great guy. And I really liked when he talked about how relationships are so important with who he chooses to bank with. And if you're wanting to have a banker, um, really make a good relationship with him because it goes so far. And without further ado, let's bring him on. So we are here today with Mr. Ryan Shields. So Ryan, tell us a little bit about yourself. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Yeah, I'm doing well. So a um, little bit about me. I'm from, born and raised in Iowa City. Recently moved to Pella, aka recently being today. So, uh, so yeah, I'm now a now a Pella Pella resident. So excited to be here. Very good. So now, you said you grew up in Iowa City. What brought you into the banking world? Why did you get into banking? Why did you choose choose yeah, that profession? That's a great question. So, you know, I, I come from more of a healthcare background. Both my parents, physical therapists, don't have any real immediate family in, uh, in banking or finance or anything. So I think it was, you know, the, the dining, the dining room table was always talking about physical therapy, rehab, that sort of thing. So it was just something different. And, uh, so I took a liking to it in, in high school. And, and then as I got into college, it was, um, I think the timing of that, it was around 2008, 2009 when the housing crisis happened and, you know, you had all these new terms coming out, like subprime mortgage loan crisis, and all this stuff that I didn't know anything about, but was was fascinated by. So it, uh, I think, the timing of that, along with just something that was a little different from what I was around most uh, growing up. So now, kind of give us a for our listeners and everything, give us a brief overview of how banking works, specifically with the loan markets. So I know a lot of times people find that to be very complex when you're talking about primary, secondary loan markets, you're talking about subprime mortgage crisis and everything. So can you just go give us a brief overview of what are the primary and secondary loan markets? How do they work? What are different types of loans? Yeah. Kind of a broad question, but. No, no, it's a great question. So, you know, a lot of people, to your point, you know, think of banking and, and there's a lot of intricacies to it that make it a lot more complex than it really is. So at the end of the day, I would say the primary loan market is best described as I make a loan uh, at Washington State Bank. I hold that loan with Washington State Bank. You, as the borrower, make your payments to Washington State Bank, right? It's just a, a very simple transaction where you're not selling, reselling, packaging the loan. Some of the things that you saw in 2008 in 2009 was this securitization of loans. And so you're basically wrapping a thousand loans into one package and selling it and reselling it and reselling it, right? So that's more the secondary market. The secondary market is very, what I, what I would say is one size fits all, right? So it, it's all, it's all uniform. Uh, you're underwriting to a very specific standard. Usually it's Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac and you don't stray from that because of the reason I just described, you're going to, that loan is going to get packaged into a thousand other loans like it and want to be sold as a security instrument to a to an investor. And so the fact that you have that going on makes it a lot more uniform and you have to follow, uh, you know, Fannie Mae's standards or Freddie Mac standards. So that's the main difference with primary and secondary is secondary, you 
sell off the loan and you don't actually service the loan typically, or there, you might service it, but there's another owner of the loan. And whereas the primary market is, it's, it's a little simpler because it's just Washington State Bank makes a loan, Washington State Bank holds that loan until it's paid off. Okay. Yep. So what are some examples of these uh, secondary loans? Yeah. So an example might be, you know, you come in, um, somebody wants to, to buy a, a house and they have uh, uh, your 15-year, 30-year fixed rate products are typically uh, your Fannie Mae conventional uh, loans. And so that would be a loan that for us, you know, we would originate, we would do everything from the time you come in and say, hey, Ryan, I want to buy a house till closing. And then we actually sell it to a correspondent bank that that services that loan until you pay it off. And so that's the the best example of a secondary market loan is one that is a one to four family real estate mortgage. You also have secondary markets with commercial loans. It's just not quite as, um, you know, your one to four family is something that you see all the time because people are buying and selling homes every day. Uh, whereas the commercial market is a little bit more limited. And so you, it's not as uh, there's not as many people in that market as there are for the one to four family. If you're just a home buyer buying a residential home, um, what are the main what are the main things that you look for when giving just someone a residential home loan? Home mortgage? Yeah. So there's really, you know, three to four main things you're going to look for, whether and, and in some regards, it's whether it's a one to four family loan or a commercial loan or a farm loan. There's there's really some core tenants of lending that don't stray much. Now, how you look at those things might be different between the loan types, but ultimately, you know, there's number one is the character of the person you're giving the loan to. My boss, uh, he retired last year. He he always said, you know, you could make a great loan to a bad person and not get paid back, but you could make a bad loan to a great person and they'll make sure you get paid if it's the last dime they have, right? So that character is really the uh, number one thing I would say with any credit decision. Um, but then the the things that you're looking for more quantitatively are like your debt to income ratio, right? To make sure that you're not giving somebody a loan for more than they can actually afford. So making sure that your income supports the debt payment that you're going to have on that house so that you don't get yourself in trouble. So that would be one uh, key piece. The other key th key piece would be uh, cash, how much capital you're actually bringing to the transaction. In the one to four family space, that would just be called down payment, right? So um, down payment is big. And then the other thing would just be the, the credit, right? So making sure your credit history um makes sense to to uh, to extend a loan to you know if, if you have a history of being past due or you know um, not paying your previous loans on time then that typically is a is a bit of a red light right so yeah. those are kind of the three to four main things that we look for when we when we go to underwrite a loan okay now what about for commercial properties so like a bigger apartment buildings, commercial buildings. Yeah. What what are you really looking for in somebody with that? What kind of qualifications do they have to meet? Are you looking, is that even more so character or are there other check boxes that you got to look at? Yeah. So what's the process? Yeah. So what I was saying, you know, a lot of the things are, are consistent between loan types. Um, th that's exactly what I mean. So, you know, with a, with a commercial loan, instead of looking at 
your W-2 income, right? I'm, I want to look at the income that the property is producing um, relative to the debt payment. So it's the exact same calculation, really. It's just a different way of phrasing it. You know, you want to look at the income the property is producing since it is producing income as opposed to somebody buying their own home that isn't going to produce any anything. So, um, yeah, the cash flow of the property is very important. The amount of cash you're bringing to to the deal is important. Um, as the, the character pieces is, is always number one. You know, as you get to work with people, um, you really get a sense for how they do things, how, you know, that, that they, um, are doing things with great intentions and, and, uh, you know, you get, there's a comfort level there, um, for sure. So, but no, ultimately, you know, those same, those same, uh, core tenants really is what it comes back to. And, um, you know, credit wise, you're, you might be looking a lot of times with a business, there's going to be people behind that business, right? So whether it's one owner or five owners, you want to make sure the people behind that business are strong. And so we're looking at those same, same items that I was mentioning earlier, you know, the credit and, and that sort of a thing with the individuals as well. Um, because that's, who's actually behind the business. So, um, a couple different terms that we would use in, in commercial real estate, like debt service coverage ratio, right? But really all debt service coverage is telling you is, does it cash flow? And so it's the, it's, it's the same way that we look at a one to four family saying, okay, do you have adequate income for this payment? It's the same exact thing. It's just a different phrasing and, and, uh, takes on some. So people see debt service coverage and they're like, oh yeah, banking is so complex. It's like, well, does it cash flow? Yeah. Because uh, that'll tell you the debt service coverage. But if the deal is going to be um, productive to you, then it, the bank sees that as um, a good thing. Kind of, kind of yeah. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's the other thing that um, at least in banking, you know, we try to, we try to keep an eye out for is that we're, we're wanting to help people do productive things, right? So whether that's housing, whether that's starting their business, whether that's maintaining their business, whether that's buying inputs for their farm, um, you know, we want to make sure that we're doing productive things with the money that we're lending out to our customers. And so um, looking at the project as a whole is always important too, because we want to see the impact that it's going to have on that community or, or that area that they're, they're doing that project. So now how much of a role does the market play in you making a loan so like how do you decide what kinds of markets that you're going to loan in uh, for example like you mentioned earlier um, off the podcast you've you've gotten more of a consumer a, a customer base in Pella mm-hmm. how, did, how did you was that on purpose was that just is that just the way things kind of fell out was there a target there how do you determine what kind of markets you're going to make yeah, loans in yeah it's a great question I mean just like any other business lending is a lot of who you know a lot of you know, doing good work for good people. And that word of mouth referral is, is just, it kind of grows and grows and grows. So if you do an efficient job for somebody and and help somebody um, in one area, they're probably going to tell their friends in that area. And so that was kind of the organic manifestation of our presence in Pella um, was, you know, it's just kind of grown over the years. It hasn't been any one particular thing that we've sought out to grow, you know, this market share by X date or anything like that. It's just, you know, you, you continue to be efficient and, um, and provide a service for people that, 
that is superior to other competitors in the market and, and people take notice to it and, and want to, that's the one thing I've, I've realized is people want to help their friends. And so (laughs) if somebody comes to you or, or anybody and says, Hey, I'm in, I'm looking to buy a house. I'm looking to start a business. I'm looking to do something that requires financing. And you have had a good experience with somebody. You're much more likely to say, Hey, call Ryan or email, you know, so that uh, that word of mouth is really really strong, and that's that's been our main growth factor in the Pella market. Okay. Are there any markets that you would look at and not make a loan in? No, I mean because every deal is so individualized, right? Like if there, there's always certain things that come into play that, like I said, with those three main factors that we look at with cash and. Um, and, and then the collateral and then, you know, so there's, there's many things that could be different on a deal that they're not homogenous. So every deal is looked at differently. Um, so there's no area that, that we would look at and say, no, we're not lending there. Um, it's just a matter of, does the deal make sense? And, and is it, like I said, a productive, um, a productive deal that's adding value in some sense. And, and so that's kind of how we look at it. There's not... It, we're, we're Iowa specific, right? So we're, it's hard for us. We want to make sure we're experts in the area that we're, that we're, um, lending in. Um, you know, because if you think about us, Washington State Bank making a loan in Florida, well, what do I know about Florida? <laughs> right. There might be a property that's on the wrong side of the road because that's where the hurricane comes and, and I have no idea. And so it's those sorts of things that, that I think, uh, you want to make sure you're, you're, abreast with the information on the area that you're lending in. Um, so that's the biggest constraint, but, um, Iowa's very, you know, there's a lot of towns, great towns in Iowa that, um, good people do good things. in. so getting into more of the business side of the banks, we kind of covered the loans and everything, but, um, on the business side of the bank, how the bank runs, how does a bank grow? And basically how does the bank grow and be profitable? It's a great question. So not many people think of a bank as a business, right? Uh, but it, that's exactly what it is. And so the same way um, a real estate investor might grow, you know, by leveraging, taking 20% uh, cash and buying 100% of, a, of an asset, um, a bank does the same thing. So a bank takes in money, right, deposits, and then loans out the that that same money. And so the way a bank grows is by growing loans, by growing the asset side of the bank, which would be primarily loans. Um, and then, but you have to have adequate deposits to, to, to loan out that, that money. Right. So, um, yeah, the, the way a bank makes money is just simply paying less on a deposit than it is getting on the loan. And, you know, that's, that's really at the end of the day, what, what it's doing. So there's different types of assets a bank can, can get into besides loans, um, like bonds and things like that, that we were talking about. So, you know, those securitized loans, you can, uh, an institutional investor, like a bank can go out and buy a loan package of Fannie Mae loans and they can say, okay, I want to buy a million dollars of this, of this investment. And that might be a, a, strategy to supplement the loan portfolio, right? So banks are, are very similar to any other business that in order to make money, you know, you're leveraging 
cash in a prudent way to loan out, make good loans to good people and, uh, and make a, a return on that. What would you say the hardest part of your job is? Hmm. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I'll throw a curveball at you. Yeah. <laughs> no, I like Wasn't it. Wasn't in the question list. I like it. No, I like it. It's, um, I, I would say, you know, a couple things like technically there's, there's some things with, so Washington State Bank, just to back up, I'm, I'm a lender and I do loans of multiple types, right? So banks, the larger you get, the, the larger the bank is more so you see, okay, commercial lender, ag lender, residential lender, right? They're very siloed. Whereas for me, I, I do residential loans. I do commercial loans. I do ag loans. I do consumer loans. So there's a lot more that I have to stay up on from a compliance standpoint. Um, especially in real estate lending, it's gotten, it's gotten very difficult from a compliance standpoint since 2008, 2009, there's been a lot more, um, legislation that's gotten put in that, that says, you know, certain timelines that banks have to follow when you're doing a, a residential loan. So, um, I would say for me that the toughest part is like staying up on all that and being able to, uh, make sure that, that you're doing things properly, right? Because that that's important. That's paramount in banking. So that's more of like a technical answer, I guess. Um, but then it's always difficult when a deal doesn't work, having that conversation face to face with somebody, you know, give, breaking the news that, Hey, we're not going to be able to help with this. It's not either. It's not in our wheelhouse. It's not, you know, we don't have an appetite for it or, you know, these numbers just don't seem to work. That conversation is always difficult because it's usually somebody that has put in a lot of effort and a lot of time to get to this point where they then come to the bank and say, here's what I've got for you. You know, so that is always difficult. Um, but that's more of a, you know, yeah, non-technical answer, I guess. Now you mentioned there are um, certain restrictions and regulations that you have to follow um, since 2000, 2008 and everything. What kind of, can we get into that a little bit? What kind of restrictions are we, are you talking about here? What kind of guidelines? Yeah. So not so much, I, I wouldn't say restrictions as much as I would just say, um, the timeline with which you have to disclose to customers, like what their final closing costs are going to be. You have to give them a, what used to be a good faith estimate is now a loan estimate. And so giving a, a projection of here's what to expect at closing. Um, and you have to give those disclosures uh, certain days, a certain number of days after receiving a, an application. And then you have to do so um, at, at, towards closing as well. So just some like very specific timelines that if you that, that you have to be on top of in order to get them the, the numbers in time to close. Otherwise, you have to push back closing and, you know, uh, kind, kind of mess up that deal. But um, yeah, that and then, you know, there's just a lot more paperwork in general. So especially with those Fannie Mae loans I was talking about, because they're, um, they're, they're underwritten to that Fannie Mae standard, um, that there's a lot, a lot of stuff in there that that requires signing and, and delivery by a certain date and things like that. So it's more kind of back office stuff. But um I, I kind of handle all that for my loan. So I just have to stay on top of those things. It's like knowing this document has to be to this customer by this date right. in time to be able to close. Okay. What kinds of systems and processes do you have to keep track of all that? 
That yeah. sounds like very specific deadlines. And Yeah, yeah. So we have loan software that helps us with it. So the actual like loan documents we create are on a um, very, you know, loan specific software. So um, it has tracking within there that helps with that kind of, kind of similar to a Salesforce type thing. You might see, you know, a CRM uh, customer resource uh, management that you can, you can put in um, different, you know, I, I got this on this date and then it kind of populates for you. So there's some processes electronically that, that assist with it. But um, more than that, being able to understand what you're actually giving the customer um, because any questions that they have, you have to be comfortable and able to answer, you know? And yeah. so that's the the biggest thing is being able to, to answer those questions and being on top of it. A lot of our listeners are interested in starting business for people wanting to start businesses what kind of business loans are out there and how how do those work just like starting an auto mechanic shop or a concrete business or whatever yeah so the startup business is always hard right because you don't have any history so a bank typically when you get a business loan the things that we're going to want are you know the last two years three years of your tax returns your profit and loss statement well for a uh for, for a business loan a startup loan you don't have any of that, right? So it's all it's all new um, new stuff. So a lot of it's pro forma projections, things like that. Um, I, I would say the biggest thing when doing a, a new new business loan would be having skin in the game, so that cash, um, because it's very easy or maybe not easy, but it you know a lot of people have ideas and making sure that that's been fleshed out to the point where you as the owner feel comfortable putting your own hard-earned money into the deal is key. And th- and that's true with a lot of things, even even to, uh, even real estate. You know, if you think about it, um, if you get a 100% loan for, for a purchase of a house through a bank, um, you're essentially renting that house from the bank for the first several years until you get the principal paid down far enough, right? And the same is true for the bank. The bank is making a loan to essentially rent you the house um, until you get it paid down. And so it's always important to to put some of your own cash into a deal. And so I think that is even more paramount with a with a startup business because, you know, you can read all the stats on, you know, business failures and things like this. And so making sure that you have cash and a plan, um, you know, having a very clearly laid out business plan is is super helpful with pro forma numbers, cash flow numbers saying if you're in your auto mechanic example, you know, here's what I intend to um, do in sales in month one, month two, month three, and run through a full year of your new business. And, and you could clearly lay out now, again, those are projections. And so that's, that's where it's always more difficult with a new business because you don't have the hard data to support it. But, um, but having that is, is a lot better than coming in with, you know, having not run through your financials. So, so basically just kind of looking to see how put together they are and how much they have invested in it too. Yeah. You know, the diligence that they've done is, is pretty apparent. You know, when somebody comes in, it's relatively easy to tell, okay, this person has really put in a ton of time. They understand this business inside and out, um, versus somebody that, you know, is just coming with an idea and kind of floating it to you. Being like, oh, this this business might work. Uh, can, yeah. I, can I loan some money? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Correct. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's one thing. That's a trait that I think for me anyway, I've picked up over time is the ability to just kind of read people pretty quickly. You know, you can, you can tell, um, a lot quicker than you might expect that whether or not it's, uh, it's going to be a winner or not, but yeah. Yeah. That comes back to that old character piece you were talking about earlier too. They really just got to get, have somebody with good character. Yep, exactly. Yeah, that's exactly right. So going back to the uh, business side of the bank, because like we established a bank is a business, even though people don't think of them that way. What kind of requirements are there in order to start a bank? Like what would it take if a group of guys said, Hey, we want to start a bank. Let's get together (laughs) and start a bank. (laughs) What, What would that, what would that take now to start, start one? Yeah, so I would say number one, um, the the financial services industry is the most regulated industry in in the world. Basically, it's very very regulatory intensive. So you'd have to have you have to have a banking charter in order to to be a bank, um, and so you have to apply through the Fed. The Federal Reserve is is who you go through, and then the Iowa Department of Banking in Iowa is the state examination. Um, so yeah, you, you've have, you have a lot of, uh, different governmental bodies that, that you have to go through to get that authorization. Um, so that, that would be the biggest thing, but then you have to also have capital, right. To, to, uh, pl- plug into the bank. So essentially there's capital requirements for a bank in order to make loans and, and it dictates how, how large you can be. And so, um, if you think about in, in the state of Iowa, it's a bank can't lend more than 15% of its capital. So, and, and the capital is just the equity of the bank. So all the assets of the bank minus all the liabilities of the bank. So assets being loans, liabilities being deposits. So let's just very easy example. If you make a $100,000 deposit and then I, as the bank go out and make a $1 million loan, Okay, so I have a million dollar loan and I have a hundred thousand dollar deposit. Assets minus liabilities is your equity capital. So nine hundred thousand would be my capital in the bank. Well, you can't lend more than fifteen percent of that. So a bank with nine hundred thousand dollars in capital could make a loan of roughly a hundred and forty thousand dollars, right? So having adequate capital to actually make productive loans, especially in today's environment where asset prices are going up, home prices are higher today than they ever have been, right? Um, You have to have adequate capital to make the loans that you're trying to make. So to one borrower, you can only have 15% of your your capital uh, in that loan. So um, that's often a, a constraint as well. So having the, and then I'd say the last thing is the team of people you're actually talking about, uh, starting the bank. And this kind of gets back to the, um, getting granted the, the actual charter, uh, which is a extremely intensive process, but you have to have people on your team that would be, um, knowledgeable about banking and have a history in financial services, that sort of a thing. Um, because it's a, the Fed would would look at an application of, you know, three people that have been in car sales their whole life and be like, well, you know, this is <laughs> this is a little tough, right? So, um, yeah, it's kind of a mixed bag, but but that's a, I guess, a broad answer. Hopefully, okay. How has the 
current housing market affected y'all? I know you said it um, like in terms of how much you can loan out because of home prices and everything's affected y'all, but are there any other ways that that's had an impact on banks in particular? Um, you know, I would say a couple things. It's, it's, a, it's impacted banks positively in the sense that charge-offs for, for loans at, with banks is at an all-time low. Um, so you have very low charge-offs because if somebody can't make their payments on their house and they sell their house, they're selling it at a gain today from when they bought it, right? Because it's, it's higher today than it, it was a year ago unless right. there was something wrong with it or, you know, they trashed it or something like that. But 99% of the time, you know, you're, you're in a better situation today. So that's impacted banks positively because banks have had very little uh, bad loans in the last two years because of that fact, because asset prices have gone up and up and up. And the same thing is true with cars, right? Used cars typically don't go up in value, but they have over the last two years. Right. Yeah. Uh, I was, I was yeah. Yeah, unheard of. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, you think about that and, and there's, um, yeah, if a bank makes a, a loan on a car and can't, uh, you know, can't, the, the borrower can't make the payment, they can just sell the car and get out of the loan. That's not usually, usually you're selling a car for less than you bought it for. And so, right. um, that's a, an anomaly as well. But so it's, it's impacted banks in that way positively. I think the way it's impacted banks as well is, uh, kind of getting back to the crux of your question is, uh, with regard to the asset price, you're loaning more on everything too, right? The $300,000 house is worth maybe 400,000 today as and it was 300, two or three years ago. Um, so you're loaning a percentage of a larger amount. And so it's increased banks, uh, loan, loan balances too, um, because everything's starting at a higher price. So 80% of 400,000 is more than 80% of 300,000, <laughs> right? So right. it's, uh, yeah, it, it's impacted that in, in that way as well. So it's made payments higher for borrowers, um, because of that fact. So you, you've really got to make sure that, um, you're doing, the diligence on the, on that cash flow side that we talked about, making sure that they can make the payment. Um, because there's a lot more than just the principal and interest as well. When it comes to a house, uh, there's the insurance, there's the property tax on the house, and then there's the maintenance of it. And that's a piece that's an unknown. And usually when you buy a place and you're in a tight position financially, um, everything that go, that can go wrong, will go wrong. <laughs> so, so you got to make sure you have enough uh, set aside and, and prepared for that. So, um, I guess those are the things that the, the increase in asset values has impacted banking that I've seen primarily. So it's got, it's increased your asset column. Yeah. You loan out more is what I Yeah. Think. Yeah. I mean, with, with most banks, uh, that's just kind of broadly speaking, but okay. yeah, you know, with asset prices going up, your, your loans on a, you know, per loan basis would, you would expect to be higher, right? Just because right. everything is is starting at a higher, higher starting point. So now, where do you see yourself going in the future? Like, what are your personal goals? What are your goals for Washington State Bank? Um, are you looking to open more branches? Have you ever thought of opening your own bank? <laughs> My own bank. I like that. Um, <laughs> Called Shield Bank. <laughs> Shields Bank. Yeah. No, I, you know, okay, so I'll start at the, at the end just because of my, my, my mind is on it now. But, um, no, I think the, the process of starting your own bank, um, is, 
there's a huge barrier there. Um, it, since like 2000, I think there's, I don't know the exact number, but it's like 900 de novo banks, which means a new bank. So there's, there's very few banks that actually get started. You think about that in any other industry, it's like 900 new businesses since 2000. That's crazy, you know, crazy low, but it's because of the barrier to entry, um, because of the regulatory environment, um, you're seeing more small banks consolidate, you know, to, to consolidate efficiencies in that sense, as opposed to, uh, new banking charters. So, uh, I don't know. I don't think I would ever take that on. I think that's a lot. I think that's a, that's a large hurdle, hurdle to clear, but no. So I, I, uh, personally, you know, I, I enjoy the Pella area a lot. That's why I moved here. Right. So continuing to kind of do what we've done from afar now more locally and being involved in the community more is, is super exciting for me. So I'll be, be around a lot more, which is, which is nice. Cause I've, uh, spent a lot of time in the car the last, uh, last few years. But so that would be my goal is just be able to bring that service and that, uh, level of efficiency with what we do, um, for our customers to more people in this area, you know, for Washington state bank, you know, it it would be great if we at some point could open a branch, there's no imminent plans or anything to, to do so. So it's more so about, you know, I've, I've been spending a lot of time in the car. So, uh, being able to be a little bit more efficient with, with being around and, and then community banking is different because community banking versus national large scale banking, you know, you really do have a different involvement in your community that is important. And so it's hard to do that from afar as well. And when you start generating business and have really strong clients in an area, you want to be able to support their community that they're involved in. And, uh, and being here allows me to do that personally. And then maybe at some point, uh, the bank, um, doing it. So, but yeah, I mean, we've, we've done a lot in the community from a standpoint of, of, you know, giving to certain organizations, but that's always a little tough. There's a difference between being hands-on and just, you know, giving a donation or something. And so being able to be a little bit more hands-on locally is, is what I'm excited about. What kind of personal goals do you have? Um, things that you really want to get accomplished? Yeah, no, I think, you know, from a business standpoint, um, like I said, just, just continuing to, to bring this, that Washington state bank service that we have to more people, I would say is the biggest thing. Um, you know, personally within the bank, I'm fascinated with some of the questions that you guys have asked about how, you know, with the way banks work and, and being able to, to hopefully someday run the, run the bank. Um, and, and that's, that, that would be a great step because, you know, there's so much that goes into that. And part of the reason I got into banking is because one day you might need to wear your hat of a construction worker, the next day of a farmer, you know, you, you have to think the way your clients are thinking. And when you have clients in farming and, uh, different lines of business. When you're helping a first time home buyer the next day, you've got to be aware of a lot of things going on in a macro factor, but then micro, you know, in the local economy. And so, you know, I, I, banking is perfect for that because you have to be aware of a lot of different things that are going on macroeconomically from interest rates to, uh, geopolitical things that are happening. And then mi- more micro level, you have to understand your local market. And, um, and, and so the, that's what I'm, I'm fascinated by with banking. And so 
it's never really boring <laughs> because there's just you know you're you're doing something different every day because of the way our our bank is structured so yeah does that answer your question yeah, yeah personal goals yeah um this is kind of a little personal to the bank or um with your bank but we talked about car loans and ag and um houses commercial non-commercial how what is the kind of percentage breakdown roughly of how many car loans versus how many single family versus all that like are you 50 percent farming and then the rest uh since we're in iowa or yeah that's uh, a great you're allowed to say that no 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 yeah absolutely so just so you know yeah a i'm allowed to say it because it's all public information. So oh, okay. banks banks actually have to file, because they're insured by the FDIC, Federal Deposit Insurance uh, Commission, They that means, uh, uh, you, know, you see that all the time, FDIC insured, right? It just means that your deposits are insured with that bank. And that bank is, is you know, if anything happened to it, your deposit would still be, be good. So because of that fact, um, banking, all banks each quarter have to release their basically their balance sheet, their financial, you know, you, you get, you get all this public information on banks. And so, um, whether or not the bank is publicly traded or not, it's all, it's all out there every quarter. So it's called a call report. And so, yeah, I, the breakdown, so a couple things, it, it would be based, it'd be different if you look at dollar amount versus straight number. Um, right. And then because your car loans, consumer loans are always going to be a little bit less than your real estate loans or farm loans or business loans. Um, but I think as a, as a breakdown, I'd have to look, um, to see what our percentages are right now, but, but we're heavy in ag just because of where we are. Um, and then there's different types of ag too, right? So for like real estate, like farm real estate versus farm operating. Um, so the difference in that would be whether somebody wants to buy farmland or whether they need money to buy their corn inputs, for their crop this year. So that's, you know, that, that would be different too, but we're, we're heavy in ag. Uh, we're heavy in one to four family real estate. Um, and, uh, and then, you know, commercial real estate, um, you know, we have a good amount of that as well. So I don't know the exact percentages, but, um, you can look them up and tell me, Josh. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I will say it's a lot for all the listeners. If, it's a lot easier working with a local community bank. Yeah, and and that's what you know. Ultimately, um, you end up hearing is, is that you know the large, the large banks, um, they're just a lot less creative, right? So if something goes wrong, it's very cookie cutter. It's like, okay, here is what we do. We then you know it's like they're following a flow chart almost, as opposed to just responding logically to a problem and just solving the problem. Yep. So that that's the difference I think that I've experienced and and that's ultimately what we try to do uh at the bank is just, you know, solve problems in in maybe a little creative ways but um prudently and and manage risk properly. Yeah. Well, one one final question here. Yeah. Where can people reach out to you if they want to find out more about your connect? Sure. Yeah. So, uh, Washington state bank, www.washsb.com. And then my email is rshields at washsb.com. Uh, that's usually the easiest way. So, um, feel free to shoot me an email and if you want to have a conversation. Um, we usually, we usually have like 
book recommendations and stuff. I don't know how much reading you do and stuff, but do you have any business or banking or any book recommendations or maybe you I like that. Or yeah. Like that recommendation. Yeah. Um, so I definitely have some book recommendations. Um, I'm reading one right now that I, I'm not 100% sold on, so I'm not going to give that as a recommendation. But one of my favorite books that I've read over the last few years is called Beneath a Scarlet Sky. It's super interesting about um, it's the it's a novel based on a true story about a um, a spy in the in World War II and helping um, helping the Jewish community get from um, out of Germany and and things like that. So it's it's pretty interesting. Um, that's a good one. Non business related, business related. Um, hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of good ones. Um, I mean, for like beginning stuff, I think Dave Ramsey's tenants are are sound in a lot of ways. Um, I think he gives gives some good advice uh, from a personal finance perspective. Um, and then I, I think uh, I think some of the bigger pocket stuff, podcast wise, is is very good. So um, yeah, kind of a three three suggestions there. That well, Ryan, thanks for joining us. You bet. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Until next time.